hello everyone how are you uh... yeah i am doing fine i think um we have this continuation of the globalized spaces that we do on various international relations topics um there was a deviation for a week but i think uh, maybe a week or so but i think we are now going to continue every week so um this week uh, we are going to discuss about you know uh, for the bharat pacific different aspects and dynamics related to what's happening in west asia and pakistan uh, and we will probably have some guests and people coming up who will be speaking about different aspects so um aditya over to you let's hope others join hoping for that but uh, uh, so today uh, good evening listeners uh, welcome back to the 14th session of uh, globalized series of bharat pacific podcast uh, today i am joined again i am joining again with abhivardhan to have this session so uh, topics under discussion today are the realignments that are happening in west asia and of course the sudden fall of imran khan in pakistan so beginning with west asia Uh, we have been seeing in the past few months that that there has been some churn going on in west asia uh, uh, of course we have uh, in the past couple of years we have seen some of the institutional developments like uh, i2u2 uh, which involved I- israel india uh, uae and america of course uh, before that we have seen some kind of a normalization of diplomatic ties with israel in the region uh but while all this was happening there is something substantial that has happened in the past 2 to 3 months one uh, i think even a bit before that one it started with china uh, mediating a diplomatic thaw between uh, uh, iran and saudi arabia and they have opened to they have agreed to open normal diplomatic ties which was quite something because that took diplomatic world by surprise and the second thing that's happening that happened was normalization of west asian ties with assad which clearly indicates that and this kind of finalizes that us has lost its battle against assad which is another loss uh, and addition to the long series of losses that us has faced in the recent past however yemen seems to be like uh, stabilizing now saudi arabia seems to have won yemen so many of the long standing battles have seems to be going into hibernation at the moment uh, and uh, there is a then india factor like uh, saudi arabia uae everyone wants to uh, align themselves with india uh, egypt uh, is also quoting india very well uh, so uh, lots happening abhivardhan in the west asia like i still don't know like what is the end goal here but there is a lot of things that's happening okay so let's understand some of the events by understanding some of the groupings of countries right see west asia is a very unique region it's kind of like the heart of the world in many ways because while we know that the greenwich timeline starts from united kingdom the real heart of the world is actually west asia in many ways i mean india is the heart of the world in different ways not those but geopolitically west asia is the heart of the world i mean i because and i'll tell you why because you know so many powers have involved in west asian countries like right? uh, we have the chinese who have involved in turkey and you know countries in middle east and north africa 
we have the us of course involved in libya and so many countries even in west asia the us has like a you know trademark of involving themselves in west asia the russians have done it uh, even major even uh, powers like israel have done it for their own security and existential reasons and west asia is always something which was known for ruins and destruction and you know a lack of quality of life and many things right because whenever you talk about syria one may hear oh fine there's a civil war going on in syria bashar al-assad is fighting it you know it's a battle between daesh and the democracy and democratic forces the russians are coming up also the turkish are also coming up to defeat isis and if the iranians are also trying to do that maybe perhaps and then you, we used to hear in the history of west asia that you know what there are so many complicated groups like even in the cold war you know it starts from hezbollah to i don't know groups in you know yemen such as the houthis to rebels in you know sometimes in iran which obviously could not survive you know so i think west asia has always been the boiling point for a long time now thankfully when the whole journey for abraham accord started and it did not start just under donald trump actually way ahead if we we go way beyond, behind uh, the the leadership the political leadership of two important leaders in west asia has been for a long time like either they have been prime ministers or president of their country for a long time number one is obviously ben- benjamin netanyahu have you done was been there and erdogan yeah i just wanted to correct myself uh, i mentioned egypt as a part of west asia sorry uh, it's part of north africa i should have mentioned wana not west asia wana region this <laughs> yeah so yeah and then we have egypt also as a very in- important country now benjamin netanyahu has shaped west asian geopolitics and so has erdogan i mean no one can deny that right uh, when naftali bennett became the prime minister of israel and uh, then again another election happened you know benjamin netanyahu won uh, of course there have been a set of powerful leaders who have been shaping this region right israel and turkey are creating their own avenues of collaboration and maybe also some sort of hostility if not belligerence uh, the saudis have been already working on development cooperation but also have been trying to keep the american partnership intact so that on security reasons you know Jeddah and the rest of the Saudi Arabian cities are not affected. The UAE has become a development power thanks to their space policy, technology policy, AI policy and what not. Even they have worked on emancipation of women. They have worked on various soft power issues and they have a fairly good partnership with us because of the I2U2 as well which has just launched recently. So all of that is there. But I think uh, even the rapprochement which has happened between the Saudis and uh, you know uh, the Iranians that's a very new development but let's see how beijing will escalate it further so i think west asia is becoming much of a different region than it actually was 30 years ago so inclusion of syria in the arab league well in my view i understand that people might have been disappointed but i think it was going to happen any day soon it was just being waited for 11 years or 10 years but syria was going to be inducted back so i think that was already going to happen and there were already talks happening between countries like israel and uae and saudi it's just that in the public due to the palestine factor things have been different so i think that aspect has been there so i think that's my summarization but uh, i think uh, uh, west asia is a very interesting region it's actually pursuing its own realignments in countries like yemen and countries like iran in its own way so that's interesting to see but i think uh, rishab might have to add a lot yeah 
before rishab comes in i want to ask you something else now the uh, the crux of the stability in west asia lies with what is the future trajectory of iran and saudi arabia i mean that is like the most obvious answer there but do you think like the current diplomatic thaw is only for like 2 to 3 years perspective like a short term thing or do you see some kind of a grand bargain in the region that will last at least for a generation and everyone will forget all the major differences they have at least for few years then they will sort it out later what do you see i mean i know there are no answers for these things but do you actually see the potential for a generational diplomatic thaw here okay so this is this a question to me or to rishab just asking no no to you it's to you okay so my view is again i agree with you i can't give you a 10 year timeline or whatever i can't but what i can say is that at least uh, it's it's partly an experimentation and there are certain realignments because of obviously the way the americans are behaving and now the chinese have now intercepted further using their economic strength and so forth but then the india factor can't be denied right so it's not going to be like it's not going to be like eastern europe or something it's not going to be too turbulent like a place like sudan or unfortunately other parts of africa but it's going to be a very different scenario three pronged scenario where in certain certain realignments would actually be stable certain you know the second case could be that certain experimentation has to still go on if erdogan because i think the elections have happened or not after the first round in turkey but i think erdogan's going to stay so that's one part and third i think there will be still certain places where you know lack of stability could be a question but that's again going to be less that's at least my view to summarize for the viewers uh, sorry for the listeners but yeah uh, i think uh, rishab can jump in yeah i think rishab has some problem i think he will join us for the pakistan bit so we can continue we we both should yeah, continue we can discussion. we can explain we can actually explore certain countries you know that would be fun to do so. yeah yeah so now for a long time west asia was all about islamic leadership right who will claim the legitimacy for the muslim world leadership and we have seen like in the past decade that turkey trying to get into that debate and trying to project certain uh, rhetoric into towards that leadership question and to some extent even imran pakistan under imran khan kind of gave try to give some legitimacy we have seen all the nonsense regarding ertugul like how pakistanis are descendants of so i mean not going too much into that uh, uh, pop culture thing but suddenly we have seen earthquake happening in turkey some kind of economic instability happening a uh, turkish lira kind of facing high volatility we have seen close elections in turkey at the moment uh, though uh, erdogan has won his party's par- his coalition's parliamentary majority has shrunk so now he doesn't have enough majority to have big constitutional amendments so there is some kind of a course correction that has happened with regards to erdogan's domestic power and he has to also uh, steer towards uh, economic uh, revival of turkey especially after the losses the country has faced due to earthquakes so where does turkey stand like what are we seeing with regards to turkey do do we see turkey uh, refocusing itself towards more towards like transatlantic issues like historically it has been or do you think it will continue to focus more in west asia i personally think uh, it will 
its focus in west asia will be relatively less now that syria has kind of stabilized uh, the war in syria is no more i mean i won't say it has ended but uh, it's like not how it was few years ago and uh, the whole region is now more welcoming of assad so so what what do you say about it abhiwala so number 1 yes uh, turkey's involvement in syria has definitely gone down and that's great for syria and that's great for at least some part of west asia for now let's see what happens in future um whatsoever happened with you know the situation of terrorism in west asia i think that definitely is a different topic to have in this spaces but uh, i mean yes turkey will focus on europe definitely due to its you know geographic presence and its nato membership and multiple factors how the biden administration is actually handling turkey and we don't know what's going to happen in the us elections will donald trump come back or ron desantis be there or you know from the Demo- from the democrat side whether kennedy junior will come in or not we don't know i mean it's still very you know i mean trump is claiming but still so i'm not getting on the us what i'm saying is that that's definitely going to be there because turkey got its concessions due to the impro- you know the situation in ukraine and we're because you know it very well that certain countries tried to enter into nato and turkey was opposing it and turkey got some concessions so definitely there will be some euro atlantic focus um when it comes to west asia i think turkey may try to focus on the development side of things or the economic side of things maybe you know participation in corridors or you know trade routes or those kind of things and at the same time there could be also some cooperation in central asia when it comes to defense technologies and other kinds of things because then we can't ignore the situation in nagorno karabakh as it was right so that's something which i find interesting with turkey but, but abhi or yeah. i have observed one thing though like hmm. during hmm. the election campaign uh-huh. i mean though the uh, country's larger policy direction seems more muted maybe it has got to do with the recent crisis in the country mm-hmm. but like rhetoric at least remained quite more uh, conservative like uh, more islamic conservative rhetoric from erdogan during the election so like mm-hmm. i don't know where this is going i still think uh, his focus will be more towards uh, re- like uh, mending transatlantic ties but uh, his election rhetoric i mean i don't know what to make of it so election rhetoric definitely has its own reasons we know how erdogan does it in turkey but i think uh, at some level what i can understand is this election rhetoric at least shows that they want to have a different aspect of engagement in west asia but again uh, you know we can't just uh, you know extrapolate the rhetoric into direct terms that you know what if erdogan has said this then he means this and so forth i'm not going to say that i'm not going to imply that that you know it this happens in the united states although yes there could be certain things which are happening but directly it's not the case but yeah i think uh, erdogan is trying to act ambitious in its own way to see how much he can create his leverage that's what could be visible yes he has to mend certain ties because as i told you and as we are discussing the biden administration's approach towards turkey is interesting concerning and definitely biden has not been very much you know uh, uh, clear when it, clear, i would not say clear but i would say he hasn't given comfort to erdogan for obvious reasons he has his own reasons to do so trump has had a different trajectory with 
the same the, the same person so definitely it's another thing so yeah i mean these things definitely come into being yeah. now, now that you have mentioned biden administration do you get the sense that like where do you think israel and us lies here at least i personally think i mean reading all the commentary and looking at the us reaction us uh, kind of seems to be like take take taking a step back in the region it is like let the countries in the region take care of the region themselves rather uh, than directly intervening this time which is kind of a, a departure uh-huh. from a, i mean we have seen decades of intervention in the region by us mm. but this mm. time it's more of a wait and watch approach from the us and when we combine this with what it means what does uh, saudi and iranian diplomatic normalization means for israel and that is the big question right because i don't think israel has stopped saying iran as the enemy and i don't think iran uh, like uh, diplomatic ties with uh saudi doesn't mean for iran that it has to normalize its ties with israel right so where does us and israel stand that is the actually most interesting question there okay to some extent definitely erdogan might not be interested in any immediate thaw between turkey and israel uh obviously they have restored full diplomatic ties that's already happened in 2022 we all know that but uh i think despite doing that uh you know at the level of intelligence and security it's not going to be in, you know that they are going to be in parity that's not going to happen but as far as what we can see from the trends uh, when we look at the elections and everything in turkey i think the status quo is going to stay but at least uh on issues like the gaza strip and golan heights and what not uh although i think the golan heights issue is nearly done or maybe not done i may be corrected on that and i have no issues with that but overall i think uh it's actually going to be a dilemma if turkey is going to make itself compatible to you know the whole abraham accords grand narrative can it be possible because the abraham accords like that rapprochement although the rapprochement is still not up to that level like abraham accord because they mean israel or turkey so and what i'm saying is that the abraham accords includes israel right uh, it's actually to mend relations with israel when it comes to west asian countries so it's actually something which has a lot of clout that's a, that started with bahrain uae and certain other countries even under the trump administration this was going to happen with almost every west asian country perhaps even pakistan it was rumored but it did not happen now uh the abraham accords definitely is something which is important it's significant it has its own value right now turkey definitely has to adjust to that so it can't just you know say that yeah the abraham accords grand narrative its own economic and its own political value that has its in the region that can be ignored right so it has to adjust that's where i think it gets interesting which is why the us is trying to get a little bit back to see how countries like israel and saudi arabia and uae will actually handle this and yeah a little bit disconnect also exists in the biden administration among certain officials and certain kind of stakeholders but again i think it's going pretty fine under mr blinken at least i'm not i'm not saying he's perfect on this but i'm just saying that he is maintaining the status quo at least not to the worst level but he's doing fine so that's what i think yeah
but like uh, one of the major reasons that is cited for the recent normalization i mean i still don't know if it is normalized but uh, the intention to normalize diplomatic ties has been to hedge the uh, geopolitical risks that was seen during the ukraine war basically so to hedge the over dependence on the western order of the west asian region so that was major reason that was cited and kind of china seized on to the opportunities what major commentators say but though china has the resources uh, just just a minute you're talking about the rapprochement right the the saudi iran rapprochement yes yes like, yes yes yeah okay yes. going to continue yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, though china has enough economic incentives to make that work do you think there is enough diplomatic capital with china to make it work beyond just economics right i mean yes economics is the fulcrum of that narrative but there has to be more than just economics do you think china has in it that because it is going to be the first major challenge for china to show like, i mean because a big part of bri uh, has not gone the way it has planned at least not yet uh, the one country where bri seemed to be gaining big big traction also kind of is not giving the dividends it wanted that is pakistan cpec cpec has also slowed down so after kind of a muted response within the bri network this is going to be another major diplomatic challenge for china so what do you think china can do more than just economics because i don't think it's just economics do you think china can offer some kind of security guarantees do you think china can do more because we have to remember though there is some kind of a normalization lot of issues between saudi and iran has not been addressed till now like not at all all right uh, that's interesting yeah so that's true i mean uh, attempts have been there just recently you know um, <laughs> the situation between you know the houthis and definitely the government in yemen you know had actually you know boiled up in march 2023 so just a few months ago now um i think i agree with you on the cpac part that it's not going to go anywhere with pakistan for multiple reasons not just the security situation and the volatility out there but also for sustainability and other things plus again we have to see uh, how will the north south corridor is going to evolve that's one thing but again that's a different region that's a different trajectory when we are talking about central asia so i'm not connecting directly to it but that's also one thing i think uh, china is trying to obviously put a lot of bait it's trying to and that's fine i mean that they they will do it uh, for you know capturing some void if they feel that there is but um, will it really evolve to that level because then you have certain countries who had certain positions in certain situation and then you have to adjust with them like countries like qatar and so forth how would you do that and then fine i mean it's great that china encouraged you know uh, the approach to reestablish diplomatic relations this seems fine but i think somewhere down the line they also realize that they have to be patient about it they can't uh, take a hasty approach to this because uh to be very fair it's just the beginning right now nothing 
significant has come in so far and uh, that's why it's quite hard to uh, even conclude what's going to happen it's just like fine uh, some sort of understanding has come in maybe on certain areas of economics when it comes to supply chains and things maybe the chinese could try to propose but again that's far away plus i think uh, we have to see uh, how will uh, how will china try to assuage on the security situation between saudi and iran uh, i don't think it's going to happen on intelligence cooperation and those kind of things it's not going to happen so soon there was some assurance yes but let's see i mean it's too early to see i don't think any emergent development is coming but yeah but where do you think india will fit in i mean we have seen some movement with regards to india like india has had uh, like fta with uae itu to uh, we are discussing mm-hmm. like big institutional mm-hmm. arrangements involving egypt mm-hmm. israel mm-hmm. uae us like there is a lot going on the developmental front economic cooperation front so Then, yeah yeah so i want to ask is like do you see uh-huh. like india in india's involvement just beyond diaspora and economics okay so my view is that let's leave diaspora to one side i mean diaspora engagement is a very common sensical thing that yes there is a diaspora and so forth i'm not getting on that we already know that it's happening and i'm not getting on that so india can take advantage because there's still lot to boil right between china iran and saudi so india can take advantage in certain other ways like for example india celebrated not celebrated but india kind of uh, expressed pleasure through the mea that you know what the abraham accords the development on abraham accords is actually a welcoming development for the for the west asian region right i mean i'm uh, kind of uh, paraphrasing it for you but you get my point so that's definitely there for india uh i think india's best opportunity whether it is american efforts where or whether it is the chinese efforts is that it gets its own space to work on issues like development economy there was a brilliant handbook i think the oxford handbook on uh, indian foreign policy in which uh, uh, the orf president dr samir saran he himself discussed that the security agenda itself in the at the global level it that itself was a consensus in the cold war era now countries are increasingly focused on development focusing on development economics and its weaponization right so in that case india has a lot of advantage to do it slightly like uh, on data protection and data connectivity issues there's already talks going to happen as reported by media reports like i think livement or business standard did it that on data protection issues india and uae are going to talk and uh, india is going to come up with the digital india act and they already have a data protection bill again in discussion so those things are going to happen uh, i think uh, even on di- di- digital public infrastructure so i don't want to get started on that so that's what i think yeah so i think uh, we will stop the westasia part just here and we should continue with the churn that is happening in south asia basically as geographical south asia not the identity south asia <laughs> yes yes uh, meanwhile like... meanwhile we also welcome we also welcome use finest and uh, rishab if you really would like to speak something up on this asia feel free to use yeah. use use finest was saying his mic isn't working so I, like i'm trying to accept his mic but okay uh, we are also no, joined but... by new speaker anukul sharma uh, i have yeah. never spoken with the speaker so anukul uh, yeah, welcome, yeah. and do you have anything to add or uh, comment or some, anything anukul no nothing sir. i don't have anything to comment 
and that but i wanted to ask some questions about west asia in particular and the indian subcontinent specifically sure, sure. The, yes i was have you seen the ani interview of the sri lankan ambassador high commissioner okay uh, anything specific from the interview that you would like to ask yes uh, so uh he was saying that the sri lankan government and the indian government both are proceeding towards closer trade ties with each other and he was mentioning something about uh, first uh, electricity cables and then later fuel uh, fuel from fuel sharing or something like the buying from india that the uh, sri lankans don't require a refinery they can simply buy from the large refineries from gujarat and stuff like that and so i wanted to ask you about uh, in india's neighborhood as india is the regional power here have we never tried to uh, closely economically relate uh, or uh, make uh, the other countries dependent on ourselves or have we tried but have those uh, procedures or processes have failed in the past okay so i really appreciate your question but i think it's not related with the space yeah yeah, yeah. it is not related with the space but i will just give you the short answer anukul for that to happen first india had to develop its own capacity and its economic size has to be big enough that its neighborhood has to be yeah. dependent on india's own markets that yeah. is now happening in the past 3 to 5 years basically yeah because india is beginning to show signs of having a large enough economy where the neighborhood countries can depend on its capacity we have seen recently nepal nepal is prime minister coming to india and signing electricity power purchase agreements all that and bangladesh in the last few years trying to have um, uh, uh, connectivity agreements uh, we are uh, we are seeing like the uh, port port related agreements like the indian ports and bangladeshi ports have opened each other for trade railway connections so a lot yeah. is happening within the bbin network and india yeah. has also helped sri lanka in repackaging its debt structures recently so yeah. now india is slowly getting into the zone where it can do that but beyond that i think it will go with outside the realm of this space we wanted to discuss uh, the current instability in pakistan and bangladesh so we will yeah. just talk there's just just one thing for you just one short thing for you like aditya has explained it pretty well but it's just one very basic example for all of you to look at it's the increased or oh, you know increased influence and dominance of airtel sri lanka which they are trying to do by acquiring certain companies in sri lanka in the telecom sector so that's actually an incredible example that you know one of our telecom companies is trying to gain foothold in sri lanka so that's one example but obviously i mean on debt restructuring and other things aditya said so yeah i'll just yeah, yeah i mean even financial payment mechanisms like it is going to different zones at the moment but yeah so rishab Uh, shall we uh, enter into the pakistan if you are ready yeah so rishab I, i would ask you you to begin the session of pakistan instead of me you are like more well informed on pakistan that's why i would like you to begin the session hi right, guys can you hear me yes 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 uh what would you like to focus on there so much to talk about i mean first uh, the imran khan question like the sudden fall of imran khan we will just limit that to limit it to that then we can also like we can also we can also discuss a little bit about pakistan and iran and maybe pakistan and afghanistan but yeah let's start mm-hmm. with imran khan yeah but abhivardhan yeah. I, i would rather say let's focus on uh, imran khan and pakistan for 20 minutes and we can give 10 15 minutes for bangladesh right yeah perhaps perhaps yeah 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 so let's limit our topic to imran khan and uh, pakistan mm. so yes rishab please 
yeah i think i think it's gone uh, almost uh, according to uh, what many people were expecting obviously i think a lot of people are a bit um, you know were a bit surprised that oh there hasn't been any kind of revolution of sorts i think uh, very few people were expecting that there would be a successful overthrow of the military establishment i don't think anybody was uh, very few people were saying that at least not the people who were who are informed or who follow the country they, they were not expecting that but obviously the action against him has been swift has been quite heavy handed uh, and i think to some extent uh, how the other political parties have reacted is also interesting because they've been uh, i mean obviously pakistan democratic mo- uh, movement the pdm uh, their coalition uh, has been very critical of the military over the years and its interference and what not obviously their uh, strategy seems to be to just let the army do what it needs to do with the pti so that you know in the coming elections they would probably have a much more easier task i mean i don't know if you guys follow um the politics closely but there has always been al- already talks about how in the coming elections if let's say pti is banned or even if it's not banned i mean the current way or the current structure or the situation it is in it would probably not be fighting as a conventional political party uh, i have uh, very i mean i have doubts about whether it will compete at all but already there has been talks about how other political parties uh, have suggested that they are going to fight these elections alone there's not going to be um, and you know uh, the broad based alliances or multiple coalitions etc which suggests that the military uh, is not just you know is 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 not just kind of uh, getting a small victory by suppressing imran khan at the moment temporarily in my opinion but also because in some ways it has managed to uh, also subdue the pdm which by which by itself is also a very uh, potent force at least in the northern area especially punjab and sindh etc so the idea or the strategy of the other other parties uh, which were hoping i mean that you know that they will be able now because the military is kind of on the back foot as well they'll be in a much more commanding position to push back against future military interference i don't think that's going to happen so the, yes the military has consolidated imran khan is down and out right now uh, a lot of people were surprised about the kind of or the pace of the defections which has happened i was not surprised at all anybody who follows indian uh, pakistani politics or has followed pti knows that the way the structure of the pti was it was just a few mid level guys some technocrats and some political operatives uh, from uh, you know uh, uh, poached by the way from other parties like ppp and 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 uh, uh, the pml these people were not always going to be that loyal to the party so to speak it was kind of like a temporary arrangement of sorts a kind of like a coalition or a loose coalition of people that were brought by the military right so what the you know what the military gives you it takes away right so the disintegration has been uh, swift but i will say this that this does not mean the military establishment has won you, i think in india we are very much obsessed about who's won 
right who's who was supposed to win this round what is ultimately going to happen i think our focus rather should be on uh currently or in the next let's say 2 to 3 years or 5 years uh what do we see in like you know in terms of the current political structure the civil military relation the power dynamics between them no matter who wins what are some of the things which are you know which are going to happen nonetheless so in my opinion the civil military establishment is going to be on the back foot a little bit compared to what they have been over the years they are cognizant of the fact that most of the political class now or especially the middle class the upper middle class of the pakistani society is is very much against how they have handled uh, uh, the country in the last few years and if the economic situation doesn't actually get better which to to my mind it's it's not looking that good i mean we i mean even if that 1.5 billion tranche of imf loans comes in which by the way uh, i don't think it's very likely because the way they have come up with the budgets and all uh, that uh, recent budget with um, you know they are constantly cutting fuel prices etc uh, the tax decisions that have been announced in the budget i don't think that's likely so if for example uh, the military loses further legitimacy it's not able to manage i mean most people understand now that it's the military running things right now not the pdm all the pdm uh, I, i want to come in here like uh, now there were two aspects to the pakistan military uh, legitimacy in pakistan historically uh, one was deeply entrenched institutional uh, military institutions deeply entrenched military across the pakistanis state structure mm-hmm. then second mm-hmm. is the popularity of military which gave more legitimacy to that entrenchment now do you think mm-hmm. the second has been compromised due to imran khan or do, are we reading too much into it's it not, like it's not it's compromised is just taken a hit and unless and until and because pakistan is in a crisis uh, economic crisis especially post pandemic things are not really happening you know uh, things are not going well inflation is obviously skyrocketing we already saw the devastation uh, that the floods came in uh there is delay and again you also have to remember pakistan already had lot of circular debt problems already before that next year they have to pay around 22 billion you have they have to pay uh, uh when it comes to their debt servicing obligation so you know it's it's really difficult for them they are saying now that we will go to our bilateral creditors mainly china obviously and we like to renegotiate payment structures and what not even if that happens in china is as generous which by the way i think in india we kind of overestimate china's generosity with pakistan in recent years that's not been the case when it comes to cpec projects etc one of the reasons why chinese uh, chinese government and even some top leader military leadership were miffed with um uh, uh, imran khan was because his government was insisting renegotiating some of these deals uh, cpec deals especially when it came to railway infrastructure and some energy projects right because they were seeing that you know the what is called as the circular debt problem in the electric electric uh, electricity sector the power sector that was making things really really bad for them and as i mean imagine if you were promised that oh you know 30 35 you know in uh, uh, energy projects are going to be uh, put up by china across the country and power prices will go down that has not happened the only thing that has gone up is essentially pakistan's debt right so if those kind of things don't really change which i don't think they are going to change the few in the in the short term 
there is going to be further questions on the military maybe not from imran khan so to speak but imran khan has already done the damage right others can pick up the baton so there's still i mean even if you look at the crackdown etc yes they have lot of brute power yes they have all that but they're still on the back foot and they will be for a, for for some uh, you know period of time unless and until i mean my, yeah my question was like does this uh, dilution in popularity anyway impacts the institutional uh, uh, involvement of pakistan i don't think so i What mean, mean institutional involvement i mean i would still say even though military might be less popular it will continue to be the maibap of pakistan no one can do anything no, no. about it yeah that no 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 one can do anything about it is i i i am not too sure about that see military establishment doesn't have to fall it doesn't have to crumble entirely right but it just has to become weak enough right or be not as forceful enough uh uh and you know some pushback coming from the civilian leadership whether it be from pti or somebody else obviously there it's a very i'm not saying there's going to be a revolution or something in the overthrow of sorts point is the change or the effect of that in the civil military dynamic okay if popular protest or popular sentiment keeps going down which it is happening right now uh parvez musharraf in the past used to you know when when things really went down when south he 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 used to appoint techno a technocratic government and made sure that you know you pump in get some money from the ifwb us and others because of course it's a frontline garrison kind of a state but that is an also, also an option which is not easily available to them but and it also this, and for musharraf it also helped that global growth was really good at that time so yeah obviously that that's that's there so it's it's in a very big uh, bit of a problem here bit of a bother here and i don't i'm not going to make any grand uh, um, assessments or projections what's going to happen in the next 2 5 years but what from an indian perspective at least it's a lot of people have said this that if the military's legitimacy goes down and it's find itself on the back foot there is a chance that it might do something to escalate things at the border that is probably or that's a hint of truth to it there is some theoretical uh, and historical evidence that yes that that is possible but i don't think that is um, as likely as it was 10 years ago right especially considering what's happening in the world right now for main idea i think right now for them is to push pti out of the picture completely like you know they were the one who built it up they are going to dismantle it one by one uh and imran khan is going to be relevant still i think even if you take the entire party away from him people have to realize that people follow pti or people don't follow pti people actually followed imran khan so institutionally he may not be able to challenge or you know uh, a push back like he did or has he's been doing so but that doesn't mean that the challenge has gone away completely right? i mean on the so, funny note on the funny note uh, i heard someone saying he is going to be the modern day frontier yeah. gandhi pakistan i was like what <laughs> <laughs> no i i don't think so although a lot of people in pakistan may believe that and what you have to understand is that he may not be that agent of uh, you know agent of uh, change or he really doesn't want a fundamental change in civil military relations that's true but then neither does anybody else and even if they do right now at least the pdm or at least from the uh, nawaz sharif uh, uh, camp the idea is and khwaja asif for example and other ministers have said this on live tv when they were asked that 
oh what wh- how are you going to manage the military because you don't like to be you won't like to be the you know proxy ruler so to speak and he said this he said he said something very interesting he said time aane pe dekhenge right that he he said that the political party especially on this side of the spectrum are waiting for its time to to some extent and co- they are cooperating with the military but they are also going to push back when you know when push comes to shove on certain important policy agenda but right now there is absolutely i in my opinion right now it's basically a de facto martial law that that's in place obviously not as strict but i think that's what it is and pdm is okay with it because the brunt of it is faced by you know uh, the pti so it's it's good for them so so aviver then i would like to bring you in now rishabh was whatever rishabh was saying is true however whatever little i am reading i am i am not well uh, like i don't know enough about pakistan's military to talk yeah, about its entire history whatever limited i have read i have come to know that there was this sense of illusion illusion regarding pakistan military's like weakening of pakistan military or anything near to that because of kamar bajwa and he was incompetent is what someone was saying so asim munir who people say is more competent the moment he cracked the whip you have seen like whole pti falling down now that is the argument some people are making do you buy into that like it all it needed was a competent chief at the top i would not say it's, it was about competence i'm not so sure about it but i just you know i just think that when it comes to the leadership right now like what rishabh told i kind of agree with it so i think bajwa was trying to hedge things off in his own way maybe uh, i'm not so sure about asim munir and you know the rebels per se so called rebels or so called defectors or grifters but 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 yeah i mean frankly speaking i just think i just think that yes kind of the military is hedging out on the kind of weaknesses it could incur so just to jump in like kamar uh, sure. you know i have to understand that uh, this is this the what you just said right now that 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 narrative that talking point that is something that's been pushed by hard uh, right uh, p pakistani hawks essentially who are kind of you know uh, pro uh, military in general and that is nothing to do with uh, making bajwa look bad per se but essentially propping up the image or strengthening or consolidating the image of pakistani army right now okay because the leadership is under severe stress right it's it's under siege so to speak so it's less to do with uh, bad mouthing bajwa although i will say one thing there has been one comment or i think this was probably definitely leaked by the top this was maybe be maybe munir's attempt to kind of uh, get the officers behind him uh, in a way uh, because bajwa obviously remember was also becoming some sort of a political liability to some extent right and to be fair to bajwa i think he gets uh, a lot of flack for some of the restraint that he was showing initially between the you know between trying to parley between two political uh, sides essentially saying that you know we are going to withdraw i mean obviously not entirely but we are essentially going to establish neutral enough grounds where i mean especially after he saw imran khan fumbling uh, 
uh, on the economy in foreign policy in lot of his uh, embarrassing encounters with important leaders in the gulf that is something which has been confirmed now then i think he probably went or tried to create a more neutral ground saying that you know i want to have or i want to essentially uh, facilitate a more fair election right and that probably didn't go down well and then obviously things uh, you know uh, back and forth etc and he had a falling out with uh, baj uh, amir imran khan but there was a recent uh, leak or a top journalist who are not by the way considered to be pro military uh, but they are anti imran khan they leaked a story about how in a in a closed door meeting with journalist um and hamid meer was one of them who said this uh, they said that uh, when it came when the question was asked about india and foreign policy pakistan's foreign policy towards india and kashmir and what not he made a very uh, off hand a very frank comment which did not go down well with other pakistani military uh, leaders and you know everybody else and he said we don't have that much capacity right now we don't have that much of ammunition spares etc to go to war so this is absolutely a fool's errand right and a lot of people felt really upset apparently which by, and this was wasn't leaked when bajwa was there this was leaked like a month or two ago right and that made everybody kind of look bad and a lot of people you know hate bajwa on this issue that he was soft on india because he was trying to reach out so bajwa was essentially making this argument that we are trying to reach out to india not just because of economic concerns and what not but also because we don't think it's it's it it makes sense to you know unnecessarily antagonize india to that extent because let's be honest in the years leading up to it escalation was you know we were climbing the escalation ladder so to speak so he was trying to temper things on india and i think that did not go down well and munir wanted to make this point uh, with regards to you know him not being soft on india like his predecessor was so these are some of the ways in which the military establishment tries to prop up uh, their own guy right so i i want it's it's not a matter of competence in my eyes it's more about political operation it's more about putting feelers out there in the public so you you have to be very careful of that right it's, it's not as simple as that uh, and and when it comes to competence let's be honest there is no easy way to gauge it he's a very uh, uh you you would have you must have seen that when munir one announced there was also other things which uh were seen as a, a plus com- when compared to bajwa like he's very religious etc etc things that would go down well with the religious right and the religious leadership within the military the hardliners so to speak so these are narratives uh, we are in no way uh, able to gauge who was more competent who was not but i think to bajwa's credit i don't think he was competent i think he was too ambitious in trying to change the course of pakistani politics and alter civil military relations not to the extent that everybody else wants but at least you know modifying it to some extent and i think that was probably a, a futile attempt so let's have the last word on pakistan so what does so now even though pti is gone The, the, there is still the cult of imran khan so what can imran khan do with that cult status too i mean yes it's still a pa- military establishment pakistan is a kind of a military i mean military is the strongest institution but whatever the advancement that was done in the civilian space in the last 15 16 years has all that been lost now like 
there are is there what 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 advancement like, i mean at I mean, least the to... kind of show that made like uh, i mean three elections consecutively that were done like a more competitive political parties like all that things like more free press coverage like mm-hmm. we, we have seen more free press coverage now mm-hmm. has all that been lost now within the span of last 3 4 months like i don't think so. i don't think so it has but if somebody else wants to add avivar then what do you think like i it's, it's not an absolute loss of credibility but it's kind of like it's a rumble because again i think bajwa definitely was ambitious but I, he i think i think the military establishment tried to hedge themselves by either creating new political parties or you know endorsing a different political landscape so in certain ways i think it's you know interesting to see how it is yeah but what can imran khan do with this cult status without having a political party so i think it's he's obscure artist right so i mean how much could he do uh, the, the, the i think it's exhausting obviously but again the volatility could 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 come up if he's arrested or something happens but still i think uh, it's he's already barging out i mean i don't think so he's going to be given that much you know political wage maybe he is popular yes that's true he's being heard somewhere but you know i think there are a lot of there are a lot of minute aspects which could stretch out his credibility to such a level that it could just break maybe that could happen in 6 months or 9 months that the, the idea the the threat of imran khan was never about him forming a government right hmm. yeah him winning an election that's not imran khan's threat imran khan's threat is not about winning elections that is something by the way which the military uh, uh, did it for him if you remember right Uh, the milli muslim league etc all the uh, other parties uh, a coalition was cobbled up because in the first uh, instance he didn't actually win a majority in the first place right uh, so you have to understand that it's not about taking the party away from him what he, what he still has is uh, not just a social media following etc etc although to be fair that's also very important the way they have been lobbying other states etc making noises in other capitals that does have an impact on uh uh pakistan maybe it's not something we think it's noise because we don't it doesn't affect our system that much but it's uh it's 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 a factor in theirs right especially when it comes to washington so it's not it's not about him winning election and that is the threat that the, he, he poses to the military you take away all the political apparatus from him yes he's going to be less effective but he still has a large amount of uh, a sway in terms of how the public perceives what the military is doing right now obviously he's somebody who's up for negotiation he's been saying this that i'm ready to leverage the position that i have uh, to get a deal of some sorts or you know let his party function that's not going to happen obviously so essentially you're taking away his clause it's not like essentially he's dead a lot of people write to write off uh, 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 pakistani politicians because we obviously have a can, you know we always see oh because in history all politicians who have challenged the military establishment have gone uh, in a certain way so hence nothing is going to change this time is going to be the same yes probably nothing will change in terms of the outcome in the short medium term but what you have to realize if you're studying a country like that what if you're observing a country like that 
is what changes he still brings or what kind of difficulties he poses what kind of impediments he throws out at the establishment and that he has done very nicely in my opinion from from his perspective uh, you may say that he's lost and what not but you also have to remember that the definition of that loss right was death exile and other things for other politicians he has managed to still you know in some ways ransom the state ransom the establishment and be relevant to that extent and more importantly be free right he still not jailed or is being tortured like zardari was like bhutto was and other 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 ones so i i would write him off completely i am not saying that he is going to be as effective as he was 5 6 months ago but yes he is going to have a huge sway and how the military goes about things i mean that's something that we will have to wait and see but right now it's all about consolidating their position and also do remember we often look at it as only the executive and the uh the the army the army right civil military relations but the military is right now also under challenge or it's also finding has not found its feet with regards to the judiciary so right now the military's objective is to set aside pti rally the hardline hardliners behind them kind of uh, do a image makeover of sorts win some people back on this side like obviously not just by persuasion but also by in- inducing fear and also control the judiciary which it hasn't done in the recent uh, months right that's also something very important so abhivardhan what's happening in bangladesh i mean the, the we can't see much clearer contrast in terms of us approach than what we are seeing between pakistan and bangladesh i mean on the one hand us kind of puts visa restrictions etc etc it wants to sanction pakistan bangladesh officials even though something much much worse has been happening in pakistan for a while now so how do you so, see this like so, what's happening in bangladesh so, yeah so i think rishab will also speak but i'll just you know make it simple uh this situation had happened you know even until 2018 right under the under the trump administration and it's repeating in its own way but then we have to understand that there are random senators in the us from the republican and democrat side who are just making some you know random statements on bangladeshi democracy and what not i'm not getting into that i'm not interested in them they have a role in some sort of lobbying efforts in the us at a domestic level but again we have to look into the details if as to how it affects um so obviously uh, the biden administration somehow it has certain people or and you know american stakeholders in the political side because we have to understand that a lot of so called civil servants who are dipl- or who are diplomats in the us you know who are ambassadors and so forth and even state department officials a lot of them are not like our ias babus or ifs right then i mean obviously some of them have a cadre but not all of them right so they are politi- they are politicians or political lobbies so those those kind of people so one has to understand that part if somebody has watched the diplomat on netflix people might think oh uh, us ambassador to uk is a very formalized civil servant well it doesn't apply in every case and that's not the case like it is in india or singapore so that's one thing now uh, uh, what sheikh hasina has achieved in bangladesh in terms of development and other things uh, and managing china and india's expectations in its own way so that obviously it aligns with india in certain aspects and you know it's india's neighbor it has been a part of you know the larger subcontinent and it will be always geographically obviously 
I think the US is definitely trying to heat this up. But uh, I think uh, we have to still see if how New Delhi would take this up. Because last time New Delhi stood up and there was some response and it was still helpful. This time, uh, I think there are certain stakeholders in the political establishment. I'm not saying exactly the Biden administration. Maybe yes, maybe no. We don't know. But I think there are. Uh, obviously, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has made statements. Obviously, there are people in the State Department have made statements. But yes, uh, political stakeholders definitely in the US have escalated the situation in not a productive way after the you know they have declared that you know they are going to do visa bans and all of that. So that's somehow concerning. So yes, they are upping the game and they are trying to make it more uh, confrontational in certain aspects. But would it lead Bangladesh into the lap of China? Would it lead to some other economic distress in Bangladesh or democratic issues in Bangladesh in elections or so forth? It's still yet to be seen. But yes, it's concerning as, you know, we have the G20 presidency right now. We will have a, most probably we'll have a summit. Exactly, we'll have a summit in Kashmir and all those things. Uh, it's quite weird why this is happening, but it definitely shows, you know, that the Americans leave no chance to, <laughs> you know, create or at least pursue a sort of turbulence-based approach in the South Asian region. So, in the BBI and economy but, region, at least. But, Richard, I don't see the logic behind American approach here. Like, what is it trying to achieve by antagonizing Sheikh Hasina administration? Because it's, first of all, I will disagree with uh, Abhivardhan. Uh, it's not something which random senators have done. This is a very concerted approach that's coming from the top. Um, it's the White House which has sanctioned uh, uh, the uh, RAB officials, the anti-terrorist uh, elite yeah. uh, uh, outfit uh, from not just in the last couple of years, but in the last three, four years. So there's always been already tensions on that, right? And again, you have to understand that, yes, there are human rights concerns which are absolutely legitimate. Uh, but you have to also understand that there is an Islamist, in, like almost like a Islamist insurgency of sorts, right? Coming from the hard, hardest of right uh, in, uh, in 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 Bangladesh, and a lot of these people are openly uh, genocide deniers. I mean, I'm not even saying pro-Pakistan, etc., from an Indian perspective, but these are people who are genocide deniers, uh, and 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 the ones who don't deny it, others there are others who celebrate it. So these are not, um, you know, uh, your normal politicians. There have been other parties which have come into the picture, more centre-rightist parties who have entered the parliament and did enter the parliament uh, in the in the last election. But this is not some random. Uh, it's not just about a visa policy, etc. I, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, around a years or so ago, uh, Blinken, uh, when the Biden, a uh, year or two ago, when uh, Biden took over, Blinken made a statement about how the United States of America is also looking at police and other officials who are involved in human rights abuses in India. Okay. Now, obviously, I remember because I have never seen that. That was an unprecedented statement. Obviously, a lot of people felt that this was very normal and okay, just went under the, you know, uh, under the radar, so it's fine. But the problem was that he used it while he was talking about the RAB of Bangladesh, right? Because there they have actually sanctioned high-level individuals, right, institutionally. So there is a, a, a clear uh, concerted effort from the top. And I think why the United States is doing it is probably because it feels it's losing Bangladesh's leadership. And 
as you or somebody else pointed out that in the trump ad- administration they felt that bangladesh was still steering too much on china's side right now that is something which again is can be debated but they wanted to put more pressure on bangladesh india stepped up and kind of suggested that let's let us do this our own way right don't uh, uh, meddle or don't be too harsh on it harsh on them and i think india was successful to do that in some way balance you see under, people have to understand there is going to be no country in in the south subcontinent which will which can just say no to china entirely that's just not possible especially looking at the uh, current uh, asymmetries between india and china that's not going to happen right no big country can you know they 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 are going to hedge and if they don't hedge they will have to balance both sides uh, that's uh, i think something which kind of we kind of always say that oh ne- nepal signed a, obviously nepal is a very different example nepal is kind of becoming very hostile to india uh, at least from my perspective uh, but when it comes to bangladesh bangladesh has been you know balancing the both sides quite well united states i think just probably understands that or thinks that uh, the kind of this delegation approach or this delegating it to india approach is not working for them or at least it's not good enough for them and i saw you know i've seen multiple pieces by people um, you know foreign foreign affair correspondents uh, who quoted senior officials saying that this time it's going to be us is not going backing down and that may be the case but i think what people don't understand is that imagine i mean i mean just imagine okay everybody is very happy that we are uh, tilting and slowly changing our foreign policy tack we are tilting more to the west and what not which is totally fine but you also have to understand and look at look at how your neighborhood and your extended neighborhood looks right now i don't know how many of you paid attention to what china is doing in central asia right now which is absolutely massive right in terms of the charm offensive the amount of money it's spending so you have central asia and obviously you're going to antagonize russia to some extent you have iran again india has uh, taken an approach to kind of uh, better its relationship with iran so you have an obviously china pakistan at your border which is the twin uh, border challenge the two fronts so to speak and if you have a bnp a government and maybe not a bnp government by its own but in coalition i think people under you know undermine or underplay the 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 absolute challenge that it will pose especially looking at what is happening in northeast today right and again i'm not just talking about what is happening in manipur in the last two months i am talking about the disputes the interstate dispute disputes the rise and the of of again the militants in in nagaland for example what is happening in myanmar for example the amount of leverage by the way china has in myanmar so if you lose bangladesh to an islamist party islamist hard right party which by the way knows that modi government has been backing hasina government and uses that in its domestic policy and its domestic rhetoric i think people underestimate what kind of a national security threat that's going to pose to india remember go back to 1960s 70s and i think you uh if he can speak he 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 will also like to probably he probably un, uh, explain it better uh but in northeast your all your insurgency or support that was coming from china was not just coming from myanmar it was actually come also coming from a large part of it was coming from bangladesh 
after mujib uh, president mujib uh, was assassinated right so people should understand and i think new delhi and i have spoken to uh, somebody who uh, is aware of of what is being discussed in the mea uh, through a journalist and he has told me that new delhi actually doesn't is absolutely behind uh, the 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 sheikh hasina government uh in the sense that they don't like this much of interference or rhetoric because let's be honest and I'll be very honest here there are concerns when it comes to Sheikh Hasina's uh, political approach she is turning a little authoritarian in that sense institutional i mean even not even there are other opposition right it's not just right wing islamist opposition there are other left wing islamist uh, left wing centrist opposition she has been quite heavy handed i wouldn't call her an autocrat obviously but i think there are legitimate concerns about bangladesh as well which the bangladeshi diaspora really leverages well so you have the centrist or more moderate uh, uh, factions and you have the right wing islamist bnp led factions and both of them have a lot of pull in washington i don't know if uh, people are aware of this but this goes way back to the 1971 crisis so in my mind i will not take this uh, and there is also mohammad yunus factor right yeah yeah definitely that is there you again people i think people don't because i think we only discuss it when uh, some statement has been made and what not if people actually read and i i try to read as much as i can uh, the local newspapers you will absolutely understand what if you understand what sheikh hasina is up against you'll understand uh, or you will actually get a new perspective these people actually uh, um, you know uh, believe that hindus are taking over bangladesh which is absolutely absurd and uh, these people uh, are not just uh, pro pakistan also have to have to remember that bnp has been historically although it's been close to the us uh, bnp has also been pushing awami league and others uh by reaching out to china right so you also have to understand that whatever decisions sheikh hasina and her party take they are doing it because there are domestic pull uh, uh, pull so to speak right so there are some compulsions there so in my mind i think new delhi i know this for i mean again i'm obviously i can't vouch for it 100% because it's come to a third party but i have been told that the mea has taken it up with uh american authorities that uh, maybe this is not the right way to go about it or at least there is a softer so alternative so abhivardhan taking from where rishabh has uh, like rishabh was mentioning mea taking directly with the state department see as i see it next 4 5 years are the period of consolidation for india in the region in the subcontinent and we cannot at any cost let anti india establishment take government in bangladesh at this moment 4 5 years down the line when we consolidate our space enough our leadership space enough in the region then i don't think any kind of regime can afford to antagonize india even though they may not like india so these 4 5 years are very very crucial so one would expect like modi would take this up with the biden during the upcoming state state visit right like it has to be one of the major sticking points when they both sit down and discuss the issue it has to be because of the kind of issues and um it's it's not just strange it's 
just a way to keep turbulence in the region by howsoever but yes um it's also kind of because maybe the us is thinking and i'm not agreeing with them i'm just saying that that's what they're trying to think that uh, this at least creates a, you know a fidgeted situation for bangladesh to you know so that their political parties think which side they wish to be whether it is the chinese or so forth but overall for the south asian region this definitely poses huge risks especially for northeast and west bengal and that itself needs to be just taken. a small small addition yeah. sorry to bargain sure uh, no problem you have to also understand that united states understands that it has india on its side let's be honest that's how they see it but again you also have to realize that they are seeing that new delhi is being pushed around uh, a lot more than it was uh, obviously for obvious reasons because china has become not just more um, um uh, powerful but also its willingness its willingness to power use that power has gone up so you also have to understand that they in from from their perspective i don't think it's about i don't think they 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 have malice in my opinion uh in the sense that they don't want to create issues for india it's just that they think this is the best approach for them um considering that they have pulled out of afghanistan they are deeply unpopular in um, in pakistan right now they are deeply also unpopular in nepal by the way for people who don't know they obviously it's a communist government and not just because of ideological reasons but uh, although india has been helping uh, the us and there was a recent agreement that was signed which was again very controversial so from their perspective um uh, when it comes to uh, nepal when it comes to myanmar when it comes to even to some extent uh, obviously uh, pakistan all of these neighbors according from their perspective are now in some ways either hedging against america or are very open to conduct and do serious business with china right to to some so, so so from their perspective i think this is just a hard bargain of sorts and they're trying to go hard on them uh and i think yeah. this is probably one of the reasons why they are raking up human rights issues and this is why it's important for indians to also understand is that america especially state department uses these issues selectively so the, there is no point of asking oh why are you not asking this question in pakistan because they don't it's not in their interest right they are not genuinely speaking about or concerned about uh, that much about you know uh, you know you know of uh, their human mm. rights situation in um, bangladesh yes mm. they are concerned about free and fair elections i don't think india should in my opinion also india should go out of its way to manufacture uh, legitimacy or consent uh, or even interfere in very directly in the electoral process what it can do is to not interfere or help dhaka uh, in any way it wants politically and internationally yeah. so and one one way to do that is to ensure that the us kind of understand what the challenge that sheikh hasina is facing and its approach so i am not saying that the us is creating this uh, uh, mess deliberately i is just probably uh, i think it's probably some sense of i won't say ignorance but arrogance and desperation yeah because it could be assumed in that way in very directly because uh, we can also say that it's a continuation of the trump administration policy in certain ways because this actually reeks of desperation there is no reason it's not uh, directly ideological it's more about just boiling 
stuff in Bangladesh to see how political state. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, you have to understand that this is the superpower that we're talking about, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, and it's not going to just delegate and uh, delegate its entire South Asia policy uh, uh, to India. That's yeah. not going to happen, right? And yeah. with changes happening in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nepal, and other places, and especially Myanmar. Um, right now, obviously, China has lost a lot of goodwill in Sri Lanka. But mm-hmm. for, from their perspective, I think it makes sense. It's just that the I think they, they really overestimate uh, the efficiency of this human rights approach. I think that's... <laughs> yes, yeah. they do. They do. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't want to even get on how USA I mean, is trying to do it. In I India, mean, you yeah. have to understand that yeah. Bangladesh is history in its creation right yeah. and what and what the us did in 1971 and the leading up to the war and post war they have yeah. to understand that people are really really cognizant of that no matter how unpopular sheikh hasina is and by the way she is becoming unpopular there is no doubt about that mm. um you still i think what i think what uh, america still thinks that uh, by doing this we can kind of negotiate with her i hope that's the situation mm. Perhaps. Yeah, but uh, I just wish somehow she manages another term, though that might open up uh, her su- succession questions in the party. But uh, so I think, other than we can wrap it up here for today. Oh, we so, can wrap it up. We can wrap yeah, it up. Yeah. Just, just one request. Just one request. If we yes. can give at least five minutes, there's this one interesting thing between Iran and Pakistan at the border side. So if we can just take five minutes for that, and then we can conclude, that would be great. So I think okay. Rishab can do so. I'll speak the least least on this but I think if Bishop wishes to take on what's happening between Iran and Pakistan um see uh, in my opinion that nothing of that much significance but um because you guys are talking about west asia uh, realignments and there's a churn happening in the in the region um I was recently researching on the SEO and i uh, i don't know if you guys see the saw the recent news pakistan is also trying to join brics now um but you know just aside uh, from the specific uh, um, points on iran pakistan their border issues etc um there has been i mean i'm sure most of you already know this but iran is also now becoming or has become a full member of the sco right and um, obviously pakistan is already a member but my point here is that a lot of these west asian countries are now uh, either getting dialogue partner status or are going one up notch and getting observer status and some of them actually will become members very soon full time members of the seo perhaps break as well there's also talk of expansion there so i think from an indian perspective um, apart from the uh, what's happening I, i i don't know what specifically is uh, apivardhan's looking at but apart from the tensions that they have with uh, uh, iran uh, at the border with some of the illicit uh, trade and drug trafficking etc um i think there is there is also some understanding because saudi arabia uh, approach I, see i think i think probably we haven't uh, still comprehended what will happen to pakistan's relationship with the gulf countries uh, specifically saudi arabia if saudi arabia and iranian rapprochement really goes well right so i think iran also because it's softening its stance in the region itself it's also rethinking to some extent 
its relationship with what uh, countries that are known as traditionally pro saudi arabia or in the saudi arabia orbit so pakistan and iran relationship has uh, is is not as uh, important in my opinion they always reach out and they have obviously some interest in keeping that part of the um, the the waters uh, you know free they, they they do they do some naval cooperation etc uh but apart from the border issues and what not i think they also have a joint interest in managing northern afghanistan or some part of uh, western afghanistan so to speak and have some stability there but anything in specific that you want to talk about i mean i don't know what exactly were you referring to but i think this is something to watch out and one of the reasons why india is reaching out of uh, iran even more because it realizes how closely it is aligning with china and russia to a large extent No, so I really appreciate you took up the part on SCO as far as Iran's membership is concerned. So I'm glad that you pointed out. Perhaps what we can do is maybe we can do a space next time on a, a, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization properly, because mm. um, uh, it's actually a it has been a predominantly Central Asian and India China based organization, right? Russia China India in the Central Asian region. But I'm now actually Indonesia, writing I'm actually writing yeah. a paper on whether we should. Uh, there have been talks about India leaving the SCO. Or mm-hmm. India should uh, India's uh, uh, presence is an um, kind of embarrassment or a contradiction of sorts. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's a little awkward. So I yeah. I've been writing and researching on this. I'll be I'll be happy to talk to about uh, to you about this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Perhaps we should do a space on this. Maybe there could be another funny theory. Just making this up, not saying that's going to happen. That maybe it's like a you know partition of SCO like. india and certain countries taking up certain countries but i think i don't think that's that's going to happen for central asia for now but let's see i mean we can discuss it in, maybe in the next week space for sure yeah so abhivardhan uh, inform the listeners where they can access today's podcast all right so uh, viewers and listeners both um please go to bharatpacific.com for all the podcast sessions you can also go to spotify and search the bharat pacific you'll get every single podcast episode as we are talking now maybe in a few minutes the last uh, podcast episode which is on today's spaces which we had um uh, regarding uh, the last topic we will actually be uploading that shortly uh, so that's definitely going to happen it was about the pacific island summit the g7 g7 hiroshima summit and definitely the australia trip which our prime minister had so that's definitely there i mean but this discussion will also come out there so you just need to do three things very simple you know go to this url bharatpacific.com or search the bharat pacific on spotify or amazon prime or apple music or just search the bharat pacific on google you'll get all the content all the podcast episodes and we have a youtube channel as well with the same handle bharat pacific so thank you so much so that's it for today uh, signing off from here see you guys until next session